0: Lord Jesus, we pray that you would use your word to help us see you more clearly today. We ask this in your name. Amen. So I I think I can tell this story without getting in trouble, but I wasn't sure, so I ran it past a group of elders, and they assured me it was okay. So I've got their emails. You can send your emails to them. Several years ago, my family and I were on vacation, and we were staying in a hotel, and As I was putting the suitcases away, a little toy poodle ran into our hotel room. And Holly, who was two at the time, just started to scream and cry because she was afraid of dogs. And then the dog jumped up onto the bed and started to run around Jackson, who was a baby at the time. and That kind of freaked Holly out even more, so so I chased the dog around and eventually chased it out of our room. But the dog was so scared that on its way out, it left a little deposit on the carpet which really freaked Holly out. So we kind of cleaned everything up and, and finally we kind of were trying to calm Holly down and Christina said to her, you know, it's okay, Holly, don't be afraid. I mean, you scared that dog more than he scared you. Look, you scared him so much he pooped on the carpet. And Holly said, yeah, I didn't poop, but I peed a little.
1: <laughs>
0: Elder said that was okay. I'm just looking, do I? Okay, we're all right? Everyone's okay? All right, I'm getting thumbs up, so we're okay. If it didn't go over very well, I was going to cancel it for 9.45 and and (laughs) 11.06. There's a point. Here it is. When Holly was born, we bought a dog, and the reason we bought a dog was so that she wouldn't be afraid of dogs, so obviously that didn't work. Whenever I thought about how much money we spent on that dog, I felt bitter. Even though Holly wasn't afraid of our dog, her track record, her history with our dog gave her no confidence when she faced a new one. And I think that's how a lot of us are with the problems we face in life. In spite of the fact that God has come through for us in the past, whether we know it or not, in spite of what he's done for us in the past, when we face a new problem, we doubt that he's there. We're doing a sermon series called Dinners with Jesus about those ...significant moments in Jesus' ministry that happen around meals. And today we read about two meals. One where Jesus feeds 4,000 people with just a little bit of bread. And we, we talked about that two weeks ago. And then right after that there's another meal where Jesus and his disciples get in the boat... ...and the disciples start to worry that they only brought one loaf of bread for 13 people. Even though they just saw Jesus feed 4,000 people with only seven loaves of bread... You know, one of the reasons I believe that the stories in the Bible really happen is because the disciples who wrote them always come off looking like they're just a few screws short of a hardware store, right? <laughs> I mean, if they were making this thing up, don't you think they would have cleaned up their image a bit? I mean, they've just seen Jesus do this miracle, and they're still worried that they didn't bring enough bread. So Jesus takes them on a little trip down memory lane to remind them of the miracle he just did five verses earlier. And he says, when I fed 5,000 people, how many baskets were left over? And the disciples say, uh, 12? Very good. And when I fed the 4,000 people with only seven loaves of bread, how many baskets were left? Uh, seven. Very good. And then Jesus says, do you get it? And shockingly, they don't answer the question. <laughs> But you would think that after having seen Jesus feed 9,000 people with only 12 loaves of bread, that they'd have confidence that Jesus could handle their little picnic. But they don't. They just don't get it. But then again, neither do we. Do we? In spite of the times when money's been tight and we've seen God come through for us again and again, we still worry each new time we have a money problem. In spite of the times that we face a problem at work, and God has always been faithful to help us with that problem, we still worry when we face a new problem and wonder, where's God? Even when things don't turn out the way we would want, God even there still meets us. I've had so many of you say to talk to me about having lost a child or dealing with a, a difficult illness, and you've told me how difficult and painful those things are, but that God was never more real to you than in those times. And you were absolutely sure that he was there. We see God come through for us again and again, but we still worry with each new challenge we face. Do you do that? you ever do that? In spite of the history, you worry each new time. I do it all the time. A very frequent occurrence for me is I'll be writing a sermon and I I don't really have any ideas and I'm staring at a blank computer screen and I, I start to get this mild sense of panic that that I don't have anything to say. I'm not a sermons. So I usually go to my wife and dump some stress on her. I don't have anything to say. She doesn't even look at me anymore. Doesn't even roll her eyes. She just kind of jokes with me to kind of lighten me up and she says, oh, you always say that. But you always ends up having something to say. Sometimes it isn't any good, but you always have something. Cheers me right up. In spite of God helping me, I I still doubt every time I face a new problem. I think, oh yeah, sure, that was then, but now, now's different. Not going to help now. Or I'm like the disciples and I see God helping other people, but I think, he's not going to help me. Or I'm not really sure it was God. Sometimes I go, well, maybe that was just my own hard work. Or I explain away the things he's done. I've told you before about a man I know of who was miraculously cured of cancer. for a while, doctors couldn't explain it. And, And for a while, everyone in this church said, wow, God healed Fred. And then a few months later, people started to say, remember when we thought Fred had cancer? We forget about the ways God has helped us in the past. We are a yeah, God, but what have you done for me lately kind of people, aren't we? And the result is we worry that God won't be there each time we face a new challenge. That's what these disciples discover in their little meal with Jesus. But look at what happens after the meal. Look at what happens after the little picnic in the boat with Jesus. Never read the text without also reading the context. After the meal, they go ashore and they meet a blind man, and and Jesus touches him and he says, Can you see? And the blind man says, Well, I can see people, but they look like trees walking around. So Jesus touches him again, and then the man can see clearly. And the big question all the Bible commentaries ask is, well, why did Jesus have to touch him twice? And they come up with some really interesting answers. You know, some commentaries say, well, maybe Jesus' power was getting weaker.
1: Oh, please.
0: Or maybe it was a particularly stubborn form of blindness. Okay, you can't be a little blind, right? Neither are or you aren't. There's no such thing as super blind. Jesus is making a point that we have the ability to see and see and see and not really see The disciples can see Jesus feed 9,000 people with bits of bread and fish They can see it with their own two eyes and still not get it Just like this blind man after the first touch can see but not really Just like we can see God help us in the past But it's like we never saw it because we worry with each new challenge And it's in those times that we need a second touch from Jesus. Just like this blind man. Because Jesus often reveals himself to us in stages. It's a process. You heard that in Michelle's story. It's not all at once. It's a process. And we need to see him again and again and again. So how do we get this second touch from Jesus? How do we we get this renewal? Well, the first thing I need to say is it's not something we can whip up on our own. It is a gift that comes from God. But it is a gift that God loves to give us. And I think that there are a couple of things that we can do to open ourselves up to receive a second touch. And the first is this. It's the same thing I always say, Bible, prayer, and the Holy Spirit. The Bible reminds us of who God is, and that builds our faith. In prayer, we can ask God for a second touch and hear His voice talking to us. And His Holy Spirit lives inside of us and gives us those thoughts that come from God that Give us courage or remind us of God's faithfulness in the past. Bible, prayer, and the Holy Spirit. Another way we can get a second touch is through community. In this story, it's interesting, the blind man is brought to Jesus by his friends. It's his community that helps him see. And this is one of the reasons we keep inviting you to be part of small groups. So that you can have some Christian community around you. So that when you start to doubt your faith, they can remind you of the reasons to believe. Or when God seems absent and far away, they can remind you of when God's been there in the past. We need a community around us to be Jesus with skin on, to help us when we need it. A while back, I got an email from a choir member, and and this is what she says. She wrote, because of an illness, I'm in pain every hour of every day. There are days when I'm so tired by just getting through the things I need to do as a wife, mother, and teacher that I don't have energy left to drive 25 miles to choir rehearsal or get up early to sing on Sunday mornings. But when I get here and see the smiling faces of my fellow choir geeks, her words, not mine, and, and not you guys, right? You're cool, so... I'm getting myself into something I can't get out of. She says each time I see them, I know why I do it. Once we start singing and laughing and joking with each other, the tiredness goes away and pain is forgotten, even if just for a bit. The feeling of being in a group of believers, singing our praises to God in the way that we have been created to worship Him is a feeling that only those of us who do it can truly understand. And I get to do it with a group of people that I love as a family, warts and all. I am a truly blessed person. Even though this woman is in pain every day of her life, she gets second and third and fourth touches from Jesus from worship, Bible, prayer, scripture, but also through her fellow choir geeks. Her community helps her see Jesus again and again. A third way that we can receive a second touch is to remember what Jesus has done for us in the past. If the disciples had only remembered Jesus feeding miracles, they wouldn't have freaked out when they had only one loaf of bread between them. We need to remember. My wife keeps a a 10-year journal. Each page has a date on it, and you can write what happened on that date for each of 10 years. So you can go back and see what happened on that day all the way back to 10 years ago. And and it's amazing to see the things that we worried about one or three or four years ago and realize God is taking care of those problems. And it builds our faith in him for the future. There's a date in spring 2002 that says some church in Bellevue, Washington called, whatever. Then the entry goes on to talk about some problem I was having in my ministry in California. Same date, and one year later, problem solved because I was here.
1: <laughs> right? No.
0: no problem is permanent. God always does something good with the troubles we face, and when we remember what God has done, it gives us confidence for the future. I think remembering should be a sacrifice. Bible prayer and the Holy Spirit, community. Remember what God has done. And finally, to open ourselves up to a second touch, we need to gain a more mature view of Jesus. Ask Him for a more mature view of who He is. In this story, the religious leaders say to Jesus, Give us a sign. Prove to us you are who you are. And you can kind of see Jesus saying, Give you a sign? You mean, other than raising people from the dead, walking on water, and making the blind see, give you a sign? (laughs) They don't need a sign. What they really want is a God who will do everything they want Him to do when they want Him to do it. They want a vending machine. (laughs) But Jesus is not our cosmic vending machine. He's our Savior and our Lord, and He wants a relationship with us. And if all we're looking at is the stuff He can give us, we're not really seeing Him. We're not having a relationship with Him. We don't really know Him. Whenever my wife's mother visits, she always comes laden with strange gifts. Yogurt and cans of prunes. I do not know why. Guess <laughs> she thinks we can't get prunes in Bellevue. But she really pulls out the stops for our kids. She just lavishes them with gifts, you know, Pokemons and Nintendos and things that make noise. She's very generous that way. <laughs> Problem is, we've noticed that our kids are starting to see her as the gift giver. But we want them to know her as Grandma. So we've said to her, could you just tone it down a bit on the on the gifts and. So far, it's had no effect. But if all we look to Jesus for is what he can give us, we're not in a relationship with him. We won't see him. We need a more mature view of him. When I was in college, I had a really hard relationship with a a woman that I was dating. And I kept asking, why doesn't God make this relationship work out? And my pastor at the time said, Scott, you need to learn that God doesn't want to make you happy, He wants to make you whole and holy. And I thought, but I want to be happy. (laughs) And then I realized that actually whole is better than happy. Happy is about whether or not I like my circumstances. Whole means the ability to find joy no matter what's going on. And as long as I was expecting God to be my Mr. Fix-It, I couldn't see what he was doing in my life because I was looking for the wrong things. But once I had a more mature view of God, a God who doesn't cause my pain but uses it to mold me into the man he wants me to be, I could recognize what he was doing in my life, and I could see it again. It was a very good lesson. And that relationship, it, it, it never did work out, never got exactly what I wanted, but later I was grateful for that, realized I dodged a bullet because it was a terrible relationship. So I learned a lot out of that. And looking back, I've noticed that everything I've ever learned about life, I've learned at the hands of some woman, and I, I don't know why that is, but... <laughs> Are okay? <laughs> my first image of Jesus was blurry. Just a vending machine. My second image of Jesus was more mature. And once I had that understanding of him, I could recognize him. When I saw him, I could see what he was doing in my life. Bible prayer in the Holy Spirit. Community. Remember God's faithfulness. Seek a more mature view of Jesus. When I was in California, I belonged to a small group of pastors, all from different churches, and we would meet to pray, to confess our sins to each other, and to challenge each other to grow. Well, five years ago, one of the guys in the group suddenly got fired from his church with no explanation other than that the senior pastor just wanted him gone. And he'd also gone through a really tough breakup with a woman that he'd been dating for a long time, and, and when he lost his job, many of his friends from the church just broke off all him. He was in a lot of pain. And his question then was, where is God? Where is God? I don't see him. Why isn't God helping? And he said, you know, Jesus used to be so real to me. And as a pastor, I would always tell other people about him. But now I feel like I was just giving trite, cliche answers to people who were in deep pain. Well, when he got done telling his story, it didn't feel right to say anything. And we really didn't even know how to pray for him. So instead, we put him in the center of the room and we put our hands on his shoulders... And we were silent for about 30 minutes. And then finally someone said, Amen. It was a very moving experience for me. If God seemed silent to him, then we were going to sit in the silence with him. When we got done, he had tears in his eyes. and you know, So all of us, sort of wanting a quick fix, were like, did you see God? Uh-huh. And he said, no. But maybe I got a glimpse of him in a community of men who were willing to sit in silence with him. He needed a second touch, and I wondered how long it would be before he got one, but I actually didn't get much of a chance to to find that out because he began to avoid us. He didn't want to be around us and and sort of broke off contact, and then shortly after that, I, I moved up here. But I ran into him not long ago and had a chance to catch up. Turned out that he spent several years angry at God. But then one of the guys from the group continued to meet with him, even though he didn't want to be met with, but this guy from the group just kept meeting with him. And and this guy from the group didn't give him trite answers, but just listened to him, occasionally challenged him, and continually said, I think Jesus is chasing you, but you're not letting him catch you. Along the way, this man decided to become a counselor. And in the course of his studies, he began to realize that the Bible calls Jesus wonderful counselor. And that Jesus doesn't offer trite answers to problem of pain, but on the cross, Jesus absorbs our pain and then transforms it into hope. And over the course of the last five years, he began to experience Jesus again, and now he's back in church, fully engaged in his relationship with Christ. And he loves his job as a counselor, which is a way better fit for him than ministry ever was. And because he's gone through pain, he knows what to say to other people who are in pain. But more importantly, he knows what not to say to people in pain. He needed a second touch to see Jesus. And it took five years, but bit by bit, he got it. Through a community of men who were willing to sit in silence with him, through bits and pieces of scripture, the prayers of his friends, the occasional prayer that he would toss up, and it came as he began to remember God's faithfulness in the past. And as he gained a more mature view of Jesus, not as Mr. Fix-It, but as the God who is with us and transforms pain into hope, as his view of God expanded, he could recognize God when he saw him. It's interesting to me in this text that we read today that it emphasizes over and over again that the disciples only had one loaf of bread in the boat with them. As if to remind us that Jesus refers to himself as the bread of life. In other words, you only need one loaf. All you need is Jesus, and if you've got Jesus, he can do the rest. Now I don't know where you're at today. Maybe today you've received a second touch or a third touch or a first touch from Jesus and it's just so exciting. And as a community, we want to celebrate that with you as we worship. But maybe some of you are like my friend. You're in need of a second touch. Maybe it's a health problem, a financial stress, a problem with a child or at work. Maybe you're just not sure God even exists. And if he does, you're not sure that he cares about you. And maybe in the past you've experienced God, but now you can't see him at all. It's just blurry, blurry, blurry. You need a second touch. And the good news is Jesus is in the business of giving second and third and fifth and six hundredth and however many we need touches. And we are a community of people who will wait with you and pray with you until you receive that second touch. And you will. And when you do, the Jesus who is a little blurry to you right now will be as real as the ground that you walk on. And you will know that the God who has been faithful will be faithful again. His love and compassion, they have no end. All we have need of, his hand will provide. He will always be faithful to you and to me. As one of my favorite hymns puts it, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust you. How I prove you o'er and o'er. Jesus. Jesus, precious Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust you more. Lord, we pray that you would give us that grace to trust you more and more. And help us follow you. We ask this in your name. Amen.